the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, April the 3rd, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on April 3, 1996, Unabomber. Remember him, Ted Kaczynski? He was arrested at his remote Montana cabin. Today in 1860, the legendary Pony Express began carrying mail between St. Joseph, Missouri and Sacramento, California. It seems like they did that for a long time, but actually the delivery system lasted. I mean, I wasn't alive then, but I mean, it seems like from history, because so much is written about them. I don't think many of you were alive then either, but nonetheless, we know about it. But it seems like they would have been in operation longer, but they only lasted 18 months because during that 18-month period that they were running between St. Joseph and Sacramento, they had um, the transcontinental telegraph lines were being laid, and they were completed. And so once that was once that was in place, then the the um, mail carriers, the Pony Express, was no longer needed. So, but there are a lot of stories and novels, as you know, have been written about that period of time. But it, only lasted 18 months. Today in 1882, outlaw Jesse James was shot to death in St. Joseph, Missouri by Robert Ford. The interesting part of that is that Robert Ford was a trusted member of Jesse James' gang. I guess there's a lesson in that, isn't there? Today in 1936, Bruno Hapman was electrocuted in Trenton, New Jersey. He was electrocuted for the kidnap murder of Charles Lindbergh, Jr., Today, in 1948, President Harry Truman, he signed the Marshall Plan that was designed to help European allies rebuild after World War II and to resist communism. Today, in 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered what turned out to be his final speech. He told a rally of striking sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee. He said, quote, I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Twenty hours later, King was shot dead by an assassin's bullet as he stood on the veranda, the the deck, at the Lorraine Motel. We all remember that well. I remember it. I was in class at Bellevue College. And the professor went crazy when he heard about it. I'd never seen anything like that. He ripped the American flag off the wall and was stamping on it with his feet. I was I was a fairly young guy sitting there in a history class, and I'm thinking, what's going on? I'd never seen anybody do that. I've seen a lot of it since then, but I'd never seen that before. But everybody was affected by the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr., Today, in 1973, the first handheld portable telephone was demonstrated for reporters on a New York City street corner 
Motorola executive Martin Cooper, he called Joel Ingle of Bell Labs. I don't know what they talked about, but they had a chat. I remember those. I, I had one fairly early on, not in, not in 1973, of course, but I had one of those. Maybe some of you did, too. They were those. They were kind of a gray, like a brick. They were about the size of a brick. I think we kind of called them a brick. And they had that that antenna, kind of a black rubber antenna sticking up out of one end of them. And, you know, they were the, the, the best and the newest thing out. Now they're collector's items, I suppose. But anyway, first handheld portable telephone, 1973, today. Five years ago today, Pope Francis, presiding at a traditional Good Friday Colosseum procession, he decried what he called the complicit silence about the killing of Christians. And one year ago today, former Vice President Joe Biden, who now would be President of the United States if he had his wishes, Joe Biden acknowledged to the press that his tendency toward physical displays of affection and encouragement had made some women uncomfortable. I guess he's suggesting that some liked it. But he said, I know that it's made some women uncomfortable. So he said, he promised, and I quote him, I will be much more mindful of respecting personal space. Joe, just keep your hands off the women. That's what people were trying to tell him. But he's going to be more mindful of personal space now. That's a good thing, I am certain. There's a lot of bad news out there, you know it, and I'm not going to dwell on it, but a couple of things need to be mentioned, I think, today. 701,000 jobs lost in the last report, more than they had expected. The unemployment rate in America, which our economy was just bursting at the seams. I mean, it was roaring, as they say. Unemployment rate has suddenly jumped from 3-something to 4.4. The Chamber of Commerce announced this morning that 24% of small businesses in America are temporarily closed. Not out of business, but temporarily closed. 57%, though, are optimistic they will be back. They will regain what they had done. And the the reason this is significant is because when we think of, you know, people and jobs and where people work and everything, you kind of think of like Boeing and Microsoft and Amazon, not just because they're, you know, here in the Northwest. But, I mean, you think of the big companies. But basically, Americans don't work for the big companies. I mean, they have these thousands of workers. But the millions of people who have jobs – Generally, and I've seen the numbers, it's staggering. I mean, really it is. But most of us in America work for a what would be considered a small company, a small business. And that is the engine of America. I mean, that's what drives our economy. It's not the big guys, but it is the small businesses, thousands and thousands and thousands of them across this nation. So that's when 24% of those small businesses are temporarily closed. You can imagine the ripple effect. That it's having, and some of you probably have been affected already by a small business temporarily closing. I notice also that Nancy Pelosi is, as she does so often, she <laughs> Pelosi is demanding now that in a round two of economic recovery, that we invest two billion dollars to fund a mandatory vote-by-mail. 
I'm not a big fan of voting by mail. I got to be honest with you. And a part of it is because I just used to like to go to the polls and I like to, you know, see people in the, that I knew there that I hadn't seen for a year. I mean, that's all part of it. And I know, you know, if I was 16 years old, I wouldn't feel that way. I get that part. But I also know that mail-in voting and all that kind of thing, I know it's more um, vulnerable to chicanery than doing it the way we used to do it. I know it is. It just has to be. And I'm sure there's some statistics out there that would prove that. I support what the Trump administration and Congress is doing to help our nation get restarted and to survive this horrible, horrendous coronavirus epidemic, pandemic. I do. I think there should be some money infused into the pockets of people here in this country. But the the concern, the concern is there's a new Rasmussen reports out this morning, about an hour ago. They come out about an hour before I go on the air on the live, on this program live. And they found in the last just couple, two, three days, they they took this this uh, polling and, re, and reporting it this morning. They're finding that 40% of all likely U.S. voters now favor having the federal government provide every single American with a basic income. Now, Bernie Sanders has been pounding the lectern and for the last, well, how many times has he run for president? A couple of times, I guess. And that's been his message, among other things. But Ocasio-Cortez, there's a whole group of people out there that, that have, they have a microphone and they're heard by a lot of people and influence. They're influencing people. So we're beginning to see this, and 40% of all likely U.S. voters now favor having the federal government provide every single American with a basic income. And this is not from a far-left polling company. Rasmussen is leans a little conservative, not liberal or progressive. And so, and that affects the way they ask their questions. Slightly more, 43%, are opposed to a so-called universal basic income. That's what Sanders and others have been calling this. 17% are undecided. That's pretty high. There's usually only about 10% on any issue that don't know what they think. 17% are confused on this one. Rasmussen says the last time they reported or they asked this question was in August of 2011. In August of 2011, only 11% of the people um, likely voters favored a basic income grant for all. 82% opposed it nine years ago. Now we're here. 40% say they think that would be a good thing. 45% of voters now favor a single-payer health care system, federal government providing coverage for everyone. That's socialized medicine. 41% are opposed. 14% are not sure. Support for a single-payer system peaked, Rasmussen says, 48% in September of 2017 after running in the 30s, the 30% for several years prior to that, but that support had fallen to 36% by August of last year. Now it's at 48%. So, uh, excuse me, now it's at 45%. So, we, we need help, and we need the government to be there for us when we need them. But, 
boy, we have to be careful because that is a very slippery slope into socialism. Everybody wants something for nothing. I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people do, too many people. And so that's our dependence can be shifted very subtly and almost unknowingly in the mass, in the public, without, when they keep hearing these messages from guys like like Bernie Sanders and all these other people that are socialists, when they keep hearing this, it begins to sound better. And in a time of crisis, we begin to look for a source, for an anchor. We begin to look for a place, a port in the storm. And if they think the government can fund them and give them a life with a with a, a guaranteed income and socialized guaranteed medical care, man, if you've got money and you're in good health, what else do you need? We want to be very, very careful with that, regardless of who is president. Where we need to be looking for our security is to God. Jeremiah, the old prophet, he said in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. Well, the heat has come. <laughs> We're in the heat. But, Jeremiah says, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. I'd like to ask you to make that verse, and I'm sure many of you know it, probably from memory. I'd like to ask you to make that verse your verse today and through the weekend. Blessed is the man or the person who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. You will not wilt in the heat, and you will continue to yield fruit. Those aren't my words. That's the word of the Lord. I got this email um, this morning, or last night, actually. It's another one I got this morning. If I have time, I'll mention it to you. It says, Gary, I have real concern about the press meetings regarding COVID-19 pandemic. That's at those press conferences the president and vice president Pence and those guys have every day. And they have these doctors and all those people on there, and they're on every day. Well, he says, um, he says, Gary, I have a real concern about the press meetings regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. Too often, both the president and vice president are together on the platform. They are usually within six feet of each other. They're usually within six feet of each other. I would prefer that they not even be in the same room ever until this situation is completely eradicated. Why? If they both became ill, this listener says, if they both became ill and became unable to hold their offices, do people realize, and then in capital letters, he says, who is third in line to the office of the presidency? I shudder at the thought. God's blessings to you, and perhaps you know someone who could pass this notion on to the president. Well, perhaps we do, but that's a good thought. A third person would be the Speaker of the House. I don't want to give you indigestion, but think about that for a moment. Now that is frightening, to say the least. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, they distracted this nation with their impeachment charade on this pandemic that is now a pandemic 
all the, all the time. Well, that was ramping up. They wanted to distract the nation with another investigation. Now they are coming out with a, a second investigation on Trump. They're saying now, Nancy Pelosi is saying now, what did he know and when did he know it? That's a phrase, Nancy, from the 1970s. But she's parroting this phrase now because they are setting up to investigate the president because he's not acting properly in this pandemic, this coronavirus pandemic. Can you believe it? Yeah, we can. Because the charade continues. These people never stop. They never, ever stop. I got this email from uh, a, a woman this morning who listens. And I don't know where she lives, but she listened to this program. She said, this was just uh, a little bit earlier this morning. Oh, it was around 8 o'clock this morning, I guess, 7 o'clock this morning. She said, I think there's something else going on as well here. Apparently, she had just read the blog that we publish uh, every day, the article, the, 30, uh, the Faith and Freedom Daily. She said, I think there's something else going on as well. Those who take their marching orders from an antichrist are preventing the nation from strengthening into a real community with shared goals of fighting an enemy. Talking about the coronavirus. They're working to instead keep us in separate groups, fighting and backstabbing. God is trying to get our attention. Will uh, Will we require 40 years in a desert to realize God really means what he says? Well, I hope not, but I understand fully what you're saying. And I think most of us in this conversation this morning do understand. I think she has a point and she has a good point. Mark Alexander wrote for the Patriot Post yesterday. He wrote this article and he says, according to Nancy Pelosi, he says, she says, quote, I don't know what the scientist said to him. When when did this president know about this and what did he know? How did he know and when did he know it? But as the president fiddles, this is Nancy Pelosi's words, as the president fiddles, people are dying. So now they're launching another investigation into the president of the United States at one of the most horrible times in the history of this nation and at times that were not brought about by anybody, Republican, Democrat, or whatever. This is just in the course of human events. You You cannot know that these things are coming. Yes, you can prepare, but you cannot know. There's a picture in that article, and since I'm going to be quoting uh, Mark Alexander a little bit here this morning, we included a picture that he used in his article. It's a picture of, it's a, it says a quick solution to the many evils or something like that. And it's a picture of Nancy Pelosi with a piece of duct tape over her mouth and with Dr. Fauci standing by. And it, it identifies, the picture identifies a quick solution to the many evils. But Alexander writes, let's be clear, while Pelosi and Schiff are busy fiddling their uh, fiddling their impeachment tune in January, they had access to all of the CDC information the president relied on that month and every day since. They and he were seeing the same information, the same data, the same intel, as they say. He goes into a fairly lengthy, and I'm not going to read it, but he goes into a fairly, I included it, in an article that I wrote today at faithandfreedom.us. But he goes into a fairly lengthy uh, kind of a chronology of what happened and when it happened. 
it begins like this, and I would encourage you to read it. it I mean, take a look at it, because it, if you want to be informed, this is informative. He says on, ja- on 29 January, Donald Trump impaneled and empowered the White House Coronavirus Task Force, headed by Vice President Mike Pence, to coordinate and oversee the administration's efforts to monitor, monitor prevent, contain, and mitigate the spread. He goes through a whole list of people that are involved in this. Obviously, the Vice President uh, Pence is has been put in charge of it to be the coordinator. And he mentions some that we've become accustomed to seeing in the news, Dr. Deborah uh, Bricks, for one, and, and of course, uh, Dr. Fossey and others that we see day in and day out on these um, press briefings, if we're, if we're paying attention to them. But he goes and he goes through all of that. Then he says on the same day, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer were haggling about what the Senate was doing with their impeachment distraction, sucking up all the beltway political and media airtime that they could, spending every waking moment directing all the attention to their political agenda to take Trump down. Then he says on January 31, Trump announced travel restrictions on U.S. entry from China and suspended entry by other foreign nationals who posed a risk of transmitting SARS, coronavirus 2, which that's what they were calling it then. An average of 8,200 Chinese were flying to the United States every day. On that same day, Alexander says, and I'm quoting him, I want to credit our sources. We always credit our sources. In fact, people thank me for that because we don't take what others have written and pretend like it's our own. I quote them. I, I, I have no pretense of knowing everything. I just want to get to the truth and get it kind of gathered up so we can talk about it here every morning. And many of you recognize that, and, and I'm glad, I appreciate the fact that you do. But on that same day, he says, condemning the administration's travel restrictions, Pelosi reissued a call for passage of the Democrats' no band Act to prevent Trump from imposing what she said was such biased and bigoted restrictions. Bottom line, Donald Trump acted, President Trump acted on the information that they all had, he, Pelosi, and all these guys had, Schumer and everybody in top-level Congress, they had access to this information. So Trump acted on it, and he banned flights from China. Pelosi and many, many others, including Schumer, began to call him, they called him racist. Even the newspapers were calling the president racist back then. Because why would you do that? That's not right. It's not their fault. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. So Alexander goes through all of that. And he says there were 219 House Democrat co-sponsors of this bill. But, he said, Nancy didn't put it, didn't pass it forward to the Senate. So on March 13th, Pelosi quietly withdrew her legislation to prevent travel bans because it was becoming clear that Trump had made the right decision before, while he was being criticized as being racist, including by those leaders in Congress. On February 4, he says in his State of the Union address, President Trump noted protecting Americans' health also means fighting infectious diseases. We are coordinating with the Chinese government, working closely together on the coronavirus outbreak in China, and so on and so forth. You will remember what what Pelosi was doing during that speech. During that speech, she was busy preparing the official transcript, the one that is to go into the record, her transcript, Speaker of the House. 
of the President's State of the Union address, she had already torn a little bit of it, so when she would do what she was planning to do, and she said she'd been thinking about it for some time, it wasn't spontaneous, she took the speech, the actual papers of the text of the President of the United States, forget who he is, just the President of the United States, the copy that is supposed to go into the official congressional records of this country, and she tore it into pieces while the cameras rolled as soon as the president finished his speech. You tell me. I agree with our listener who sent me that email. Man, how would you like to have her in the White House? She's nuts. The next day, as anticipated, the Senate acquitted President Trump the Pelosi shift articles of impeachment. That ended the saga for the moment, and now the charade is continuing. I want to talk to you just for a moment today about the reference to Pelosi's fiddling. Since she brought up the subject, she obviously is referring to Nero fiddling while Rome burned. PBS has published an overview of what happened that day. Rome's history is one that a lot of people know a lot about. PBS has done a a pretty good job, I think. It's pretty unbiased, really, because I've read a lot about that period in history. But Nero was the great-grandson of Caesar Augustus. His mother, Agrippina, she married Claudius in order to make her son Nero his heir. Claudius was murdered, the victim of poisonous mushrooms, supposedly given to him by Nero's mother. Nero became the emperor of Rome at age 16. He later banished his mother because he couldn't deal with her. (laughs) Nero had a dream to remake Rome, which included tearing down two-thirds of the city and building what would be known as Necropolis. The Senate rejected his plan, saving Rome from being remade rather than restored. And on, on the night of July 19, 64 AD, fire broke out among the shops in the city. Nero was conveniently out of town at a resort, it is said. The fire raged for six days, then died down, then was rekindled and burst back into flames again. When the smoke cleared, two-thirds of the city had been destroyed. PBS says history has blamed Nero for the disaster, <clears throat> implying He started the fire so that he could bypass the Senate and remake Rome to his liking. They say gangs roamed the streets, and if people tried to put out the fires, they threatened them with torture. PBS says Nero himself blamed the fire on an obscure new Jewish religious sect called Christians, whom he indiscriminately and mercilessly murdered. They say Nero often lit the garden parties with the burning carcasses of Christian human torches. And during gladiator marches, he would feed Christians to the lions. This is PBS. So who's trying to remake America now? And who's trying to restore it? Is it he? Or is it she? I think that's the question that's before us today. Governor Cuomo prophetically said, he didn't know it was prophetic, but he prophetically said, Last September, he said, it's a long and unproductive road regarding trying to impeach the president. He said, where does it go ultimately? Nowhere. The problem with that is it means nothing else is going to get done of substance between now and then, and we have some real issues to deal with. And he didn't even know about coronavirus. 
How prophetic. As Nancy fiddles, New York has now become the epicenter of the Chinese virus. This is a time to turn to God, not trying to be destructive of a president duly elected by the people. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday.